Hello everybody and welcome to Facebook Ads Agency Builders. We are a powerhouse community of entrepreneurs seizing the opportunity of the rapidly advancing digital marketing industry and bringing some of the best minds in the business together to have massive impact for our clients. Over the past five years, Tyler Narducci has been building and scaling his own digital agency, helping businesses grow and market their services and products through online advertising. Now, he's helping other startup digital agencies launch and scale rapidly to six figures with the Done For You Agency program. If you are interested in taking your agency to the next level and skip all those painful mistakes most have to make by learning directly from those killing it in the digital agency space, then apply now at sobeviral.com slash agency build. That's sobeviral.com slash agency build. There will be a clickable link in the podcast show notes as well as in the about section of the Facebook group. Now, let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome everybody to the FAAB podcast. Today I have Jay Miller from Kyber Digital and I'm really excited uh, to have you here uh, because we are gonna take a deep dive into offer building both for your agency and for your agency clients. Uh, and we're also gonna talk about sales, two really, really big and important things uh, in the agency world. Um, and you've had a lot of success uh, on your end. Uh, in offer building and sales both. So I think you'd be a really good person uh, to spread some knowledge on the podcast. So welcome. Yeah, I'm super stoked to be here. I, I love uh, everything you're doing and I love being uh, able to get back to the community you've built. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So we'll just dive right into the episode, guys. So as agencies, we're constantly building and testing offers for our clients and for ourselves. Can you help us break down what that offer building process looks like both for an agency and then for an agency's clients as well? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing for both. Right. Um, and just as a quick uh, snippet of information for those that don't know the, an offer is a difference between um, what, what you're actually bringing to the market versus your products. So um, we, when we say offer, we don't mean like, Hey, get 10% off of this. Like that is an offer, but it's not your core offer from the, from the company. Um, that's a discount, right? So when we say offer, we really mean what is your pitch? What is your unique selling proposition? What's your unique mechanism? What's um, the value that you're bringing to that client? Exactly, exactly. So for the industry we work in with contractors, a lot of the times it's very much tax or financial driven, but it's also uh, upgrades on installs, but they, it's always somehow associated with saving the prospect time and money somehow. Uh, and the way that we do that is, is it really, really boring. Uh, actually, we go back to the uh, your original um, prospect examination. So the first thing you, you do is you break down the emotional feelings of all of your, your customers, which every single company thinks, oh, I know my customers inside and out. Well, you might, but if you've written it down on paper and done the exercise, I guarantee you that you'll find things inside of that, that exercise that you probably didn't think of before. If you ask your clients, you know, how do you, how did you feel before and after we did this job? How did you feel before, or after you worked with us? Um, what were the objections you thought you would reach? What were some of your, um, your apprehensions about the project? Like no matter what it is, it doesn't matter what industry it is. Um, you'll get a lot of responses that are what we call golden copy because it's it, that you're then using their words 
back to them with your marketing messages and inside of your ads, your, your website, your email marketing. Um, you're taking the same verbiage and using it right back to them. My biggest fan of this was Omar Johnson from Beats. Um, that's exactly what they did on the Hear What You Want campaign. They basically asked tons of listeners of Beats headphones. And this is a company that's enterprise level that knows their customers, but they went and they did the market research anyway and crafted an amazing campaign around Hear What You Want, which was really, it was a, it was a great campaign. Um, even the news stations were talking about the commercials they filmed because it just spoke to the customers. It's so well done. So really that's where you start is the emotional uh, drive behind how to build up your offer. How is it going to be emotionally compelling to the person on the other end? So it's really emotional driven. That's, that's where how, do you, how do you get that information from the prospect? You can either ask your current clients. Uh, you can use software tools like NetBase or NetLine. It's one of those two uh, for sediment tracking across the internet. Um, you know, there's all kinds of conversations that those softwares can pull in from various sources to see mm -hmm. how customers feel about certain topics. And then you can also do a, a thought exercise, uh, which we have a guide that we use that helps break down that first stage process. It's the first thing we put every client through that we sign. And it's just a thought exercise. It, it's like, hey, like, like, how is your USP and product different from your competitors? What is your ideal client? How does your ideal client feel prior to them coming to you? Have they done work in this before? Is this, is this something new? Are you going after a repeat customer with your campaigns? And it allows you to understand the emotional uh, reasoning behind the decision-making. So that's how we start. We just really just go back to the basics and, and say, this is our client. How do they feel? Go through the thought exercise. If we don't get enough from that initially, then we just go and ask the current clients we have, which you shouldn't be afraid of doing. I do it all the time. I'll yeah. ask like some of my older clients, why'd you sign up with us? What made you make that decision? How did you feel before you made that decision? How do you feel now? What was like the one biggest thing that you learned from working with us that you didn't know before? How has your idea of marketing changed since working with us? Like all of that type of um, inquiry really gives you the responses you need to create that golden copy so that when you do a VSL, you're speaking directly to I'd say probably 80% of the prospects you're going after um, yeah. is to be able to see it. So I say it's boring because it's not a lot of fun to come up with and do the exercise, but it's where all the golden copy truly exists. That's where it all lies. Market research is boring, yep. but it's highly effective when it's used. Yep. I know we're going to talk about sales in just a little bit, but this also reflects directly into the sales process as well, because when you're in that call number one, right? And you're getting to know the prospect and you're going through the discovery process. These are the things that you're asking. You're literally asking them about their pain. Why are they there? You're getting to know exactly what they're experiencing. And all these same golden nuggets come out in that call um, where you can, where you should have a pen and paper or at least notes in front of you so that you can be copying down the exact, you know, situation that they're going through. And the pain you don't want to assume doing. either. You never want to assume because like, even, even in the, the conversation we have when we ask these questions, sometimes we get really interesting responses we didn't anticipate. So yeah. you never want to assume and you always want to do the market research. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also, it's, it's specific to the business too. Like even once you kind of find a trend, I think within your, within your niche uh, or your industry of specific pain points that commonly occur, you're right. You don't want to assume, you still want to ask because what, this specific contractor or that specific contractor in your industry 
the, the drive that they have for wanting to succeed can be completely different when it's emotional based. One wants to take care of their family. One is a single guy who wants to, you know, get a bigger house or, or whatever, whatever it is, but they can be two different ideas of, of what's driving. I mean, this, is, this is perfect for e-commerce too. It works exactly the same with e-commerce clients. Um, yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's good from a broad perspective in creating your offer, which is what we're on, but it's also really good in your sales process. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, what's going to land you a deal is connecting to that specific pain point of exactly. the prospect uh, and, and not just assuming that, oh, they just want to make more money. Like, yeah, they probably do want to make more money, but like, why do they want to make more money? There, the why, the why is the important there. part. Yeah. 100%, yeah. right? So, and if you can connect with that why and say, you know, when you're delivering your pitch and say, okay, we feel really confident we can get you to X and get you to, you know, enable you to buy that next warehouse so that you can expand your operations, right? Not just so that we can, we can get you to, you know, 50 grand a month, like 50 grand a month so that you can get that next warehouse so that you can expand your, your business operations. Right. And when you dig a little bit deeper and you find that out, that helps you land a lot more deals in addition to crafting better offers. Right. Yeah. Also, as a really quick side note, I couldn't help it because I'm such a Star Wars nerd, hence the name of my company too. The, the, the Grogo or the Baby Yoda in the background. <laughs> yes. I love great. that you knew both names even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love I'm a, it. I'm a Star Wars nerd through and through. So That yeah. took months to get to me because the demand was so high oh, no. last Christmas, but it was, I'm, it's so worth it. Like so I got it right? in, yeah. in the background at all times. Love it. Um, for those of you guys that are listening on the podcast, instead of watching the video, which I put, I put the full recordings in the FAAB group. So if you're not in the FAAB group, definitely join. There'll be a link in the show notes over to the group so you can watch the full video, but I got a baby Yoda behind me. Uh, and he's definitely holding down the spot. Well, um, all right. So let's talk about creating an offer for your clients. Um, you sign on a new Facebook ads uh, or Google ads client, um, and they're new to digital marketing, how do you create an offer for them that's gonna convert? Well, I'm doing it right now, actually, with a Windows company. So I can tell you what we're doing for them uh, in sure. real time. Absolutely. Uh, so they're out of California. They were working with Home Depot as a sponsored provider for leads. Like they got in really, really early, uh, like 15 years ago with Home Depot for as a, as a vetted contractor. So they've kind of relied solely on partnerships to get all their leads so they, they don't exist online whatsoever never had a website completely starting from scratch so much opportunity yeah yeah right so it's almost like for for marketers that's like a clean slate it's like a perfect opportunity but um so instead of running them directly into ads we instead said all right we're going to build out all the back end first and that's a that's a 90-day campaign for us and then it's over just let's just build out everything so that includes their offer it includes their unique selling proposition. So when we go to create the offer, we're doing the same thing we just discussed, finding out what the prospects actually feel, what they want, what the needs are, what the actual needs of the product are. Uh, and then we go and we try to create a unique selling mechanism. So when we use uh, the term unique selling mechanism, it's the same thing as unique selling proposition. It's whatever differentiates you from the rest. And uh, giving someone a discount or giving someone financing options, maybe 10 years ago, that used to be a unique selling proposition. It's, it's no longer uh, that. And now it's expected. Now it's norm. Now it's yeah. now it's, it's expected of, of the, those contractors. So instead, 
what we try to do is we try to find out what their process is that's different. And we'll ask them, what are you guys doing that's different? And everything when they first tell us is always, oh, well, we have the best customer service. We have the fastest turnaround. It's, it's always the same five or six answers. And yeah, I go, yeah. okay, that's, that's what everyone else says. Like, now you need to go deeper. Like, how are you delivering a better experience to your customers? Like, go beyond just uh, your, your initial process of the customer's buyer journey. What are you doing with the product that's different? And they might, at one point, through me asking a ton of questions, dig out of them. Oh, we actually put a, a second double layer of this underneath the windows. We put a second um, windshield. We put a secondary, uh, we put uh, shatterproof glass in every install, even though it's more expensive. We, we, we do this for everything because we do a lot of work in storms and it's debris safe. Whatever they're doing, then eventually we get to that point where it's like, that's one unique selling point. It's like, okay, that's one. We're going to try and merge a whole bunch of these things together and piece together from multiple angles uh, what doing different so that we package it into a unique selling proposition. It's really hard in commoditized industries to come up with a unique mechanism uh, unless they have a, a unique piece of software or hardware that allows them to do the job. It's basically proprietary to them. So right. instead, you need to piece together other things that already exist and, and merge them into a unique like, product, a unique uh, uh, bundle, if you will, that helps get that out to the, the, the customers that they say, okay, this is new. They're also doing this, 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 and this. It's a separate product. Maybe it includes a full uh, windows and doors inspection, right? Maybe it includes like a whole house inspection with their temperature being regulated before and after. Like they give a, a temperature rating and energy efficiency rating of those new windows before and after, how much they're going to save. Uh, and they do it to the house. So it's not generic. They'll maybe map out the blueprints of the house and they'll say, now we have an idea how much money you're actually going to save based on your electric bill. That's going above and beyond, but that's a really cool unique selling mechanism because then the homeowner knows exactly how much money they're going to save and exactly where the break even points are between installing an upgrade on windows versus what it's going to pay for itself in the energy savings. That is a financial decision that's then emotionally driven because they have an incentive to, to make the decision for themselves based off of the data you're now giving them. So that's an idea that we're playing around with right now, but that's just one example, right? It's, it's, it's trying to go and create a unique product with what you already have before you go and invent something new, you know, um, yeah. by pulling in pieces of it. So that's where you start. Um, and in another weird example, we had a whale watching program in Cape May County that that was like, how are we going to come up with a unique mechanism for a whale watching program? <laughs> it was like yeah. a, a one-off that we did. But essentially, I, I, we asked them the same question. We said, what are you doing different than the other guys? Like, how is your experience slightly different than, than um, what, what your competitors are already doing? So to give an example of how we approach that, I'm going to use Mad Men, right? One of the very first seasons of Mad Men, Don Draper is inside the advertising room and, and he's working with the cigarette company. And uh, he says... This, they're, they're talking about how they sun roll the cigarettes or something with like sun, sun drying the cigarette uh, yeah. tobacco. And the guy goes, well, everybody sun dries their tobacco. And he goes, yeah, but no one's talking about it. Even if it's a process that everyone does, no ah. one's talking about it. Therefore, we can use this as the pitch for this particular campaign. Your, your tobacco is sun dried, right? And then they packaged it with a whole new, uh, a whole new idea of creative. And they packaged it with a whole new offer itself. The whole new pitch was different. Now it was at a different price. Now it had a discount. Now they had a reason for the discount. 
and the whole campaign is based around uh, the cigarettes trying to be healthier at the time. Now, now they're sun dried. You know, it was just an idea that allowed them to to uh, to push a unique mechanism that was a little bit different. In fact, it was actually more of a big marketing idea than it was a uh, a unique selling point. But the idea here is that we're pulling together different ideas from uh, different pieces together to create something unique. This is what we do for commoditized industries like windows, doors, roofing, HVAC, like, you know, even e-com, if you have like something that's really basic that you're selling, it's the same idea. Like if, if you're selling a hairbrush, well, throw in something else that makes it unique, throw in a guide of how to use the hairbrush, throw in uh, some tutorial examples, throw in like a, like a quiz on how you can use it, whatever you're doing to make the customer's experience better that's what you have to do to differentiate yourself from the market. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I wanted to kind of give the, 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 the I guess, the mental breakdown of how you go about doing it with a couple of different examples because it could be different for everybody. I think another thing that I've seen work really well is when you're doing a lot of the same, similar stuff. So at least in agency outreach, um, giving your process a name uh, yeah. and, like, and like actually like, Create, creating like a product, I guess, creating a product around your service or, or like the Productizing X, the service. Yeah, yeah. The XYZ method. Right. And so you're buying ads, but like you've given it a name uh, and, and you've given it, when you've given it a name, you kind of put more confidence behind it uh, because it's a method that you've, your team has used, implemented and proven time and time again. Right. You're not just Facebook ad buyers. Uh, you're using this proprietary XYZ method that you developed uh, with your team because at the end of the day you really are right like your yep. team is learning as you grow your agency and learn and learning specific specific processes and specific ways that they like to test things that's always different from the next guy uh when any agency goes in and does an audit of another agency they're like oh you know i, I would have done this different i would have done this different i would have done that different and the fact of the matter is like they're just doing things differently but they're all going for the same goal right but um, the systems and processes that your agency employs can be named uh, and kind of boosted up in that exactly. sense. So let me um, give you an example for ours real quick. Like we have an enterprise level solution for some of the industrial clients. What we ended up doing there was account-based marketing, which is completely different than, than tiered PC. It's you're going after companies, companies selling to companies. So you do an, uh, an account profile versus an, an ICP. That's the second stage. So what we ended up doing was we use a lot of intent data, which is third-party data for that. So what we ended up doing was pulling the first-party data with some really advanced softwares like Kickfire, um, merging it with third-party data, finding three or four second-party data affiliates for our niche, and merging all three of those things together plus public records. And then inside of the, the, the hub we use, which is Marketo, we then lead score it. So that is a very unique uh, a very unique. Um, emergence of things that already existed these elements a, already yeah exist. it's a proprietary blend yes, of, of exactly. data resources for sure yeah. and we call that quantum audience targeting so that that's just all it really is is merging first second third party data public records lead scoring based on a 30-day cycle with a degradation lead score algorithm plugged in and then that's where our campaigns start now we know who to target first but you know that that's the idea we're just pulling yep. different elements together in a different way in a unique way yeah. yep and it, and it works when you when you have that confidence and productize the service that you're doing. Uh, it definitely helps push sales yep. for sure. So 
how do you, uh, I guess, how do you stand out in the market more? So once, you know, once you have these, once you have these, you know, proprietary systems, let's say you've named one of them, uh, once you have kind of worked with your clients and figured out something that they're doing a little bit different than their, than their other competitors, uh, what's, how do you make your clients stand out in the market? How do you get that message to their customers? Well, the easiest way is, is to come up with what, you know, uh, Todd Brown's team likes to call uh, the big marketing ideas. Um, it's exactly what I mentioned Omar Johnson did before. Their campaign was hear what you want. And I'll give you the background on that, on that campaign. They went and they did market research. They asked a whole bunch of different, five different types of demographics. Why are you using these headphones? And they said, well, I like to tune out the stuff before my big meet. I like to just only hear what I want to hear. Another uh, group of people said, I like to not get hit on at the gym or when I'm traveling. So I put them on so people think I'm listening to something because I don't want to communicate. And another guy said, I've got five kids. I put this on so I, I blank out all the noise so I can work from home and still have you know, all that in the background, not have to worry about it. But everybody had their own use case. And they took like the top five generic ideas and put together a commercial. I mean, the whole tagline behind the commercial was hear what you want. And that was the big marketing idea to make it stand out. And they're using the exact market research and copy that they drove from their consumer base into that campaign. So by using the consumer's words right back at them, that's one way to stand out because not everyone does that. Everyone focuses so much on the service. Everyone's like, oh, we do PPC, we do SEO, we do Facebook ads. Like they don't care about that. They yeah. care about the result. They care about not even the result. They care about how they're gonna feel after they get the result, you know, that's where the true uh, copy lies is in the psychology. And the better, the quicker you understand this, the better your campaigns are going to run. It's, it's all yeah. emotional. You're, you're selling to people. People buy with emotion. They don't buy with logic. They, they rationalize with logic, but they buy with emotional reason first. You have to have both sides of the brain to make them feel great about the purchase. So when it comes to how to stand out, one, creating a, a really great offer. Two, creating a unique mechanism with your with your services and productizing those services. And three, ensuring that the copy speaks directly to your target audience and that you're targeting the right, the right people. If you do those three basic things, your campaigns will do great. I mean, and there's always ways to improve your ad campaigns, improve your messaging, improve your landing pages, your conversion rates. But at the end of the day, if you have a really great offer and, and a really great unique mechanism that's based around the customer, and the big ideas around how that customer feels, it'll trump any type of, of uh, weaknesses your campaign may have, such as a bad landing page, such as a bad ad. You know, it, as long as you're doing these three things, most campaigns will be somewhat successful until you really ramp them up with good practices. Love it. All right. Uh... So how exactly do you create a unique selling proposition? Is this what we discussed earlier? Yeah, we just went through that. Yeah. <laughs> just like talking yeah. to the, yeah. the, the buyers and understanding what's different. Yeah. Yeah. Piecing together the different elements is, is really the way to go. Unless they have a, a proprietary piece of hardware or software. Yeah. That's different. Right. It's, and it's shocking to me how many, how many companies out there like, have these amazing unique selling propositions that they've never realized was something of value to to say to their you know to their customers to actually use in their marketing yeah um, i think i think SaaS products suffer from this a lot yeah they, yeah the ones that don't are the enterprise level ones that kind of have it on lock even like asana 
they started using gamification. Like every time you, you check a task off, you get a little unicorn that flies across the screen. It's like, because they, they know that their, their audience likes that. They got enough feedback to know that was, that was going to work. So yeah. it's just continuous market research. Love it. All right. So then let's dive into sales a little bit and let's talk yeah. about your sales process. So can you explain, uh, explain to the audience, basically, what does your sales process look like? Are there multiple calls going on? What's going on during those calls? Let's break it down. I get asked this a lot. And um, because we're a little bit more developed, it could go one of two different ways. Um, if we get a referral, um, it's almost like by the time they get on the phone with us, they're ready to buy. Because, but that's different. So let's talk about the cold. And yeah, let's talk about the, someone that's not that's not yeah, so, that. So during line. during our 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 funnel process, we focus only on education based marketing. So everything we do when we, when we run a campaign is about education. That's the same idea we do for the the, the the VSLs. It's the same idea for the content itself. Um, and we're actually ramping up new uh, education based marketing content for the new prospects we're going after specifically. Like we went through all this market research over the last three months and now we're in that creation phase. Um, but essentially we do this for all of our clients. So what, when we get someone on the phone, uh, we do most of the time a two call close. And I say most of the time, because sometimes by the time they get to the VSL and they actually book an appointment, they, they, they're not even gonna argue with, with the, uh, the offer because the offer is so good. At yeah. this point, they just want to know how much it costs and how to move forward and, and any objections that they may have, we may take those objections and put them in the next version of the VSL. The whole idea is for your VSL and your marketing message to address the potential objections that your customers may have prior to them getting on the phone with you. So yeah. this is the whole Billy Mays thing, right? So this is part of the offer build, but it, it's essential for sales. When Billy Mays from OxyClean and, and uh, all the other products he used to sell got on, the, got on the television, he would do what we call CPB chunks, claim, proof, and benefit, right? So when we create a VSL, we're making a claim, and then we're making approving the claim, and then we're making an emotional benefit. So when, um, so you could say, you, you, everyone has the same intro with their VSLs. Like, I got to do this, this, this to, to make my yeah. intro great. Then you get into the actual messaging. So let's say your claim is, I can get you, uh, you know, we guarantee like $30,000 $30, of revenue in the first six months, or let's just say that was the claim. To prove it, you now have to be able to back it up with, with some sort of case study or some sort of um, testimonial. So then we put that directly into the message. And then the benefit is the emotional benefit they're going to get from that particular claim or deliverable. So when you get into services, it's the same idea. So to break it down, like Billy Mays, you say, hey, this, this, uh, this, this OxyClean can get all the stains out of your jeans. And you're like, nah, no way. It's not gonna get stains out of my jeans. Then it'll put it in the washer in front of you, put the, the OxyClean in, blends it, takes it out. Look, the stain's gone. That's the first objection. The second objection is someone's on the other side going, nah, there's no way that's gonna work for lace or silk. And he goes, it even works for lace and silk. And then he proves it on camera and gives you the emotional benefit. Now you don't have to worry about your, your, your really, you know, precious silk sheets or your, your really expensive lace garments, like not being able to get cleaned and, and you can get them dirty and it'll be totally fine throwing the washer. Yeah. And then he, then he attacks the third one where it's like, it will even do this. Like they, they just go above and beyond. 
And then that's, that's the first portion of it. That's only half of the equation. The next part of it is when you're pitching the actual offer, because this is all part of your, the mechanism build. This is part of what your mechanism can do. This is talking about OxyClean. It's not talking about the product. It's talking about the solution that OxyClean is made out of. It's made out of these, these different kinds of chemicals that do this. Yeah. Then you get to the end where you're like, if you buy today for the first, for the next 25 minutes after you're seeing this commercial, we'll throw in an extra set of OxyClean for free on us. And we'll give you this guide on how to use it. And we'll do this. And we'll take off shipping. Yeah. They make the offer irresistible. And the perks, which are the extra stuff, are almost as good as the original product. Our perk at the agency is we design all of our websites for free. We don't charge for websites whatsoever. We do all of them for free, whether it's a 10-page or 90-page, because the idea for us is long-term um, retention. We also focus on business development more than just yeah. you know, PPC. So for Which us, is that important because a lot of contractors, a ton of them have either really, really bad websites. Oh, they all need it. Yes. So, and or, they know how yeah. much it costs. They know it's yeah. like a two to $3,000 build minimum. Yeah. So when they see that, they go, oh my God, that's going to save me money right there. That's, yeah. just, that's, that's almost as good as the, the package. And, and uh, they're like, I can finally get that taken care of. And I don't have to spend any money on it. Yeah. Even yeah, if I'm yeah. not with this guy for more than three months, I get a website out of it. Yeah. Exactly. Even if that's the three, month camp, the three to four month campaign as it ends, it's like at least you walk away with this, right? Yeah, I at, love the, that. at the end of the day, at least you have something that you're going to tangibly be able to touch. Now you put that in your VSL? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Nice. Um, so but that way, by the time they get on the first call, they're just like floored by the offer. Yeah. And now it's just attacking uh, some of the, the individual um, questions we need to ask. So here's the second part of the selling, the, the first call. The selling part of it is uh, a lot of times we find out for us in our industry, we need to know how much money they're generating without directly asking them. Because some guys get a little, I don't want to tell you my books. So instead you go, how many jobs are you doing per month in, in whatever in niche that you want to expand in? So let's say it's, it's windows and doors let's say okay new installs not repairs not doors, just with new installs and that's what you told me you want to focus on how many are you doing a month now and what's the average ticket price on average it tells you right away how much the monthly revenue is right, right depending on where their revenue is you now have an idea of where to place them inside of your programs because you should have a tiered program because yeah. otherwise you, you might not be able to downsell them or upsell them to other packages yeah. So, and, and taking a look at the, the, uh, the business development for us is like, do they have their stuff together? But if you're just doing SEO or just doing PPC or just doing Facebook ads, like you probably just need to know this number and that's it. And, um, and then now you have a KPI you can, you can attach to it. Like, okay, well, you guys are doing the $20,000, $30,000 a month in Windows. If you spend $2,000 a month with me, we should be able to get you X amount of leads per month. If the average close rate was this, this, and this. Do you think you could sell this amount of windows uh, each month with a qualified lead? They say, yes. Now you have an, uh, an ROI right in front of them on call yeah. one. So what we do is we map all of that out um, and we always, at, we always let them ask for price. We never bring up price on our own. We always let them ask for price and we do it at the end. We go through all the objections. We go through our, our sales script. And then when we're done with all the questions they could possibly have, and there's that silence, we really try to get them to ask us now, how much is this going to cost? Because then that, 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 that now really painfully us. awkward silence that they, they break first. And it was like, yeah, okay, yeah. So how much is this? 
that's that's what we want. We want them to ask how much does this cost, and then we get into pricing. And if you know if they're okay with the price, which there's all kinds of pricing objections that we can go through, but that's that's a whole other conversation when it comes to pricing objections. Um, uh, the easiest one is like if they say it's too it's too expensive. You go well, do you, you know this is a Dan Lock method, but they go if it's too expensive, you go uh, okay, well, do you want the best or do you want the cheapest? Because the best and the cheapest aren't the same thing. Yeah, you know, people associate price with with uh, quality. It's that simple. Right. But, right. but you, yeah, you for, so, a Facebook ads guy on Fiverr. Yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> Fiverr Facebook ads guy versus an agency. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. That's call one. What we do in between calls one and two, if we don't close on call one, which does happen, um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll send them a, a proposal for them to review. We never send case studies and all the students I have, like I tell them, we don't send case studies through email for two reasons. One, they can dissect it too much and take a look at the numbers too hard and like, oh, they're only getting like a, like a you know, 2X return on, on our ROAS and then we have this other company saying they give us three. Like you just don't want to send a case study. If, if they if they're asking for a case study, you haven't done your job in selling, they should you should just be at the proposal stage at that point. If yeah. you're even sending proposals. Some some campaigns or if you're just doing Facebook ads, it's like yeah, I, I, I just tell people to send contracts, really. Yeah, you can you like, can just send, send a contract. Then, yeah, just know. a contract and, and that's it, just right off of that. Um you can do that live and you can have them sign it live with no. DocuSign or PandaDoc, whatever you do, and Absolutely. then take the credit card and you close right on the first call. For us, our contracts are more elaborate, so we need to do a proposal. But that's mm-hmm. that's because we're doing business development. Um, but for PPC guys and for a lot of the white label guys that have just a simple contract, perfect. You know, all right, I'm going to send you this contract and then you should be able to close by that point on call one. If you need to do a second call, there's got to be a good reason. And then that's where you got to dive into what other objections do they have where they don't feel comfortable moving forward just yet. And then you tackle those objections. Those objections they bring up, you eventually want to make sure, is this a common thing? Is this a common theme? This question that I keep getting, if it is, we want to put this in the VSL. We want to address it before they get on call one. We want to make sure that call gets completely, that, that question gets completely addressed and that they don't bring this up on the first call. They already know the answer. So I think I think a huge lesson that, you know, I mean, there's been a ton already that we've talked about for sure, but I was trying to like cash them and like collect them in my head so I could recite yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a, a really big lesson to take out of this first half of this episode is update your VSL as time goes on and you learn more about the pain points and the objections that you're facing um, to add that into your VSL. Um, it, maybe that's a, a simple re-record, but I know a lot of people like they launch a VSL and, and they're in and they're in their niche and they're kind of learning on their feet. And so being able to update that VSL to then put in your unique selling proposition and also your you know objection busters in there so that they kind of are already you know prepped with that. I think can be really valuable for a lot of people yeah. who are just starting yeah. on a brand new niche. Yeah. And, and I guess to, to wrap up that question, because we got a couple more is, is just um, uh, for calls one and two, like don't want to ever have call one booked out more than four or five days from when they see the VSL. 
and you don't want to have call two book out more than three days before they totally say agree. yeah, yeah. You, you i like i think you should ideally you want you want them to be able to book next day when they're coming day. in yep. and then ideally you don't want to put that second call out any more than 48 hours typically exactly. yeah. uh, because it just it, it, the deal gets stale information gets forgotten um and and, and you can just simply lose the deal. I think a lot of people have to go into a call number two or 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 more because they're faced with um, I have to show my wife, I have to show my business partner. Yep. Um, I I want to I want to see the contract and understand the terms. So you know let's put you know let's let's talk on the next one. So they those people that are more analytical buyers like they like your offer, they like you, uh, you handle their objections, but like they want to sit down with the information and make a yeah. decision off of a high pressure sales call. Um, I've seen that plenty of times and that's totally fine. Um, but it's just like understanding, you know, if it does go into a call number two to call number three, like you didn't do anything wrong. There's just, there's, there's a degree of uh, sophistication across the buyer spectrum. There's buyer sophistication is really high with some people and buyer sophistication is really low with some people. Um, and the higher the buyer sophistication, the typically, the more that they know what they want um, and they're not afraid to buy it, but you also can increase like the analysis that they, that they go through to make sure it's definitely the right thing that they do want. Uh, because oftentimes those more sophisticated buyers, they uh, are less likely to like force their way into, you know, the, the box that you've created and they want that more of a custom experience in some cases. So I, it's just like they're just understanding that there's a, a wide range of buyers out there. And, and once you start taking calls for your agency and you start getting your reps in and learning those different, you know, personas and those different objections that you face, you'll be able to kind of identify where they are on that spectrum and then kind of handle it as the exactly. call. Ends yeah. And, yeah. and we mostly do two call closes. And most of the time for us, it's, it's allowing them to go through the proposals because we have full uh, proposals that, that are templated out. Um, for us, it's really advantageous to use a software like client point that allows us to see the analytics of which page of the proposals they spent the most time on because it's, it's hosted on the internet. Yeah, so, wow. so that's good data. We, we can see all the if they spent like five minutes on just the PPC stuff, it's like, all right, they may have some questions about this versus they didn't look at the rest of it at all, you know. Um, so sometimes it, it might be advantageous to use a software like that, but yeah, for the most part, call two is just wrapping up any loose ends, addressing the wife, the business partner, and we say, okay, bring them on the next call yes. have them talk to me as well bring them on i want to talk to your wife i want to talk to the business partner have them answer ask me all the hard questions like i'll go through it let's let's, let's do you that. definitely don't want the prospects trying to sell your product for you yeah, uh, exactly. to, to to another gatekeeper like you need to get to speak directly to that gatekeeper because yep. no one is ever going to resell your product half as good as you um, so yeah, bringing them on is, is a huge thing. So moving a little bit back into offers, uh, how do you know exactly what package to pitch with a client when you're on a sales call? For us, it's just revenue driven. All right. Um, so I know my industry very well. I know off the top of my head that if a company's making under $400,000 a year, they're really not ready for advertising with Google because it's going to cost too much. They're probably a good fit for a Google My Business campaign, maybe a light Facebook ads campaign. They probably need a lot of back-end business development. 
So they're probably going to go into our starter program, right? Uh, that's just based off of the revenue. That's a trend. You know, that just, that's just what we've seen. And then everyone between 500,000 and a million a year, they're kind of in our middle package. They start advertising on various platforms. They're now developing, you know, email marketing. They're, they're getting their systems way more fleshed out uh, with their ERPs. And then anyone over a million is trying to take it to the next level. They have their shit together, their stuff together. And, uh, <laughs> That's okay. I'll yeah, put they got their, on this episode. Many of them yeah. are doing. <laughs> they got their stuff together, and uh, and they're uh, they're more or less trying to now expand, grow, create new offers, uh, attack a new area of the market. Um, and they is might your free website in only your top package, or where is your free website? It starts at the very bottom, all the way nice. to the bottom. Yeah, everybody gets it. Uh, we've kind of just forced all the clients to get it, you know. Yeah, um, I was I was wondering if you're they're in your middle package and they're not getting it. Like you can't you can't operate without uh, without a website, right? Like a working website. Are you also for your clients? Are you sending traffic to a, a landing page that you're building, or are you sending traffic to their we website? We send all traffic to the website, and we create right. landing pages on the website that that will remove the header and footer and have all of the privacy stuff at the bottom, but they'll nice. completely act like landing pages. Sometimes we'll de-index those sites from Google so that they don't get SEO. And sometimes we'll leave the index on Google if it's something that we're doing for click-through rates and, and manipulation of that. Uh, it depends because we're, we're very much building, SEO. Building them a funnel in their website with them. Yeah, we're, basically, we're really SEO driven as a company as well. So the more traffic to the website, the better. You know, um, that just helps the domain authority over the long haul. So we will build out something that you might see on like Instapage or Unbalancer or something like that. We'll just build it directly on the website and yeah. just emulate it there because at least then the website's going to traffic. Um, yeah. And we're able to track everything a lot easier that way and not have to pay for an additional piece of software. So um, do you, do yeah. you explain to your leads that you're building them both a website and a funnel within the website? Or is that like too high level that you don't want to bog them down? Most of the time, the, our audience doesn't know what a funnel is. Yeah, see, my, see, in mine, like they know what a funnel is. They've heard of Russell Brunson. They are, the funnel is like all they can think about. And so that word is like, they love that word, right? Funnel, like most digital marketing agencies and, and people within the digital marketing space are super aware. But I guess in- your industry, which is home contractors, remodelers, and 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 whatnot, they're not so familiar with funnels, so it's it's really not a unique. Subject. That's the market research. That's yeah. what tells us because we'll ask our clients, and they'll be, I have no idea what a funnel is. They yeah. have no, they have, they may have under, they may have heard of Russell Brunson. They may have had a click funnels page. They may yeah. understand the basics of what a funnel does, but they really don't understand the process. That's and, a shame. That's a shame too, because like. Yeah what you're giving them for free isn't even just a website. Like they're getting both a website and a funnel, which a lot of agencies charge separate fees for. Well, here's the thing. They don't care. And this is what I was trying to get back to the offer. Like they do not care. The only thing that my audience cares about, the one thing is how much their phone rings. That's yeah. the only thing they measure as success. Yeah. I don't, I could show them, Hey, you, you've increased your, your, your audience by a million on your website. I could post yeah. their entire business across the super bowl arenas you know uh, <laughs> uh you know tvs they would not care they'd be like yeah that's cool but it didn't make my phone ring they just don't care 
You know what's funny about that? Like, I think there's another huge lesson in that, guys. So if you're taking notes on this episode, which you absolutely should be, there's just been there's been so much already uh, said that's just so valuable. But uh, another lesson in that is understanding what your clients actually care about. Like we as marketers, like you can even tell in the, in the way that I'm asking questions to Jay right now, like I personally see a ton of value in funnels. And so I'm like, are you telling them that? Are you telling them about their funnels? But they, they absolutely don't care. And Jay knows that because he's done the research on, on his market so well. And so, and, and, and I know that my market absolutely loves funnels. Like it's a huge, it's yeah, a big guy for it. Yeah. yeah. Like, like digital marketers are, are all about funnels. So it's just like understanding what your actual market cares about. It is so huge. Digital marketers also like they do care more about they do, they definitely care about results, but they also really care about products as well. Like I deal with agency owners all the time that are hung up on their logo. Like they're hung up, <laughs> they're hung yeah. up on trying to get the right font on their website. They're hung up on picking a color scheme for their branding. Um, I recently worked with someone who was hung up on wanting to trademark their slogan. Um, and so, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, th this is where this market is and, and what they value. And you, you kind of take all that in. I also, with my clients specifically, I do my best to kind of course correct that a little bit and be like, let's focus on what's going to move the needle forward. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's actually going to drive revenue versus what is a shiny object, right? I mean, honestly, that, that just for anyone listening to that point, like you're completely correct. Like the logo, like the slogan, like they only really matter once you get once you get some some really good traction like we only yeah. just recently changed our slogan um and and that was because we, i don't even have a slogan there you go there you go like <laughs> and it's like and it, it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter like all yeah. they care about is the results and the proof that you can get them there yeah and and, and not only the results that how they emotionally feel after they get that result if you're saving your, your prospect time and money and they feel great about it that's 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 emotional selling like yeah. you got to think about the psychology of where your prospects are so yeah like when people focus so much on like one minor thing whether it's a logo or the word for word copy um don't get me wrong copy is really really important and changing four words can make a difference but you gotta at least get it out there first and then test it you know like just yeah. get, it and out I know, and get started and i know this is like totally another side tangent but it really does build on what we're talking about here because I deal with this all the time, especially with agency owners, when you're launching your own funnel for your agency and you're launching your own website and you're, you're, you're building your branding and everything, like your gut reaction and your gut creative instinct as the agency owner is to build it for yourself, is to build what you like and, and what you, what you uh, envision. And the reality is you need to build what your clients like and you need to, the copy needs to speak to your clients, not your personality. So like, not- We have, we have like a, a method for business development that we've created in conjunction. You know, I've gone through Todd Brown's program. We actually are still with Todd Brown. We've been kind of consistently getting coached with him as a great offer building coach, but since our, our time working with him and he's coached like Russell Brunson and traffic and oh. like he's, he's up there. Todd's a legend, you know, and his, nice. his copies like bar none, some of the best in the world. Um, but I, I, I really think that since we've worked with him, it's opened up so much of the, the uh, possibilities because of understanding the psychology. 
right? That's really what's changed is understanding the prospects. So the, the, the method that we developed for our business um, development programs, the customers at the very dead center. The customer and the big marketing ideas are the very first thing we focus on. And then you go out. There's no point in creating a product for something that you haven't had to resolve a problem for. So when you see someone creating a software product, for example, and they, you're like, why are you building this? And they're like, well, I thought this would be cool. It's like, well, does the market ask for that? Has the yeah. market demanded this? Does the market wish that this existed? No. Have you done the research? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's the same idea. We put the customer first, we find out what exactly they feel, what they need, and what they want. And we always give them what they want first and then tell them what they need after we've built their trust. Because if you tell them, hey, you don't need this, you, you, you really need this, it, good luck changing their mind. Yeah. Now, when they first come to you at, at the very, very first interactions, give them what they want first and then give them what they need. So for us, giving them what they want is more phone calls. So that we're going to tell them this is the best way to do it. You want more phone calls? This is the way to do it. We get yeah. them onto a small packet that will deliver just that. And then we say, okay, now you to really grow, you need this. And they go, okay, well, you've been great so far. I, I trust you. Let's, let's move forward with that. So we earn their trust and then we upsell them into larger packages. That's typically the process as the profit ladder goes up um, to, to retain them. And that's, it. and that's a really big, the, another lesson guys, uh, that, that's a, it's a huge one. I, I'm really glad you shared that. And it also shows the value of having tiered packages um, and getting people in, you know, whether it's a pricing objection or a trust objection or whatever it is, as long as you can get them under that umbrella and, and prove your worth, uh, then upgrading is easy after that, yep. right? Uh, but if you're only, you know, if you're only shooting for gold every time and you're getting rid of people who can't afford your top tier package, uh, you're leaving a ton of money on the table uh, by not offering some type of lower tier package that can, you know, help build them up. They, they like, have to understand why you're offering it to them and understand that it's not just to make more money from them. You know, like, like that window company I gave the example of, they wanted to hop into our $6,000 a month package. And I said, no, you guys aren't ready for that. It's going to fall flat on its face, which is the truth. They didn't have any website, they didn't have any offer, they had nothing. I was like, you guys are not ready for that. We need to do all this basic stuff first. So I downsold them, even though they had a budget for six, I downsold them into something a lot lower just to get them started. And because, because at the end of the day, you're trying to actually help your client, right? And I'm trying like to retain not trying to, them yeah. for years, not for months. Yeah. That's the difference is I'm trying to retain these clients for the long haul. Some of the clients right. that we've worked with have been with us for six years, you know, and they're still going. So it, my, but that's because we developed the business as we went. Yeah. On my coaching call last night with uh, my done free agency elite members, I was, you know, going through this exact point that, you know, we get really caught up as business owners on trying to sell the prospect and trying to close a deal. Right. And it's not even about that. Like you're trying to help somebody uh, grow their business and hit their goals. Right. And so uh, when you remove that whole, I'm just trying to sell, I'm just trying to close this big deal. And you, and you start focusing on what the client actually needs, then the services that you're offering change right and like your your offer has changed like in this case that you're talking about you had to even though they wanted to go through your top tier package you didn't sell them that because they weren't ready for it and it wasn't going to work like that's what being a moral ethical business owner and is all about and really wanting to help them and grow with them and they'll and like you said they'll end up in that bigger package later on 
but you have to give them what they actually, what's actually going to help them, not what's going to make you the most money. We should tackle something right here for the people listening that have closers because closers might not want to pitch a 900 or $2,000 package. It might not be enough of an incentive for them. So what we did with our closers was we said, look, if they fall into the lower package, put them there because you, not me, will be the one to upsell them when after the first 90, 120 days is, is over. Yeah. You at that point will, will have, like, we'll stay in, in touch, obviously, about this particular client. And we will eventually get to the point where they will need an upsell into another package. When they go into that package, we will allow you to do the sale so that you get the commission that you really want off of a five or six or $7,000 tiered uh, thing. So that when they're closing a thousand bucks, they don't feel like they wasted the time. That's something I did. No, yeah. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. That was something I did to get the best of the best out of my closers. And so that they don't have that fear of selling a lower package. If someone may disagree with me, I, that's just the way we do it. I think it's a really good idea. Like yeah. I, I definitely don't, don't have the closer get involved with continuation contracts where they're like just staying the same. But I think when you're, when the closer is intentionally putting someone in a lower tier package, because that's, what's actually going to help them. I think it's a great idea to incentivize the closer. And yeah. And we'll meet before they reach out. I'll tell them, Hey, this is at 90 days. It comes up. We have an automation inside and uh, we, we'll, we'll ping it and we'll say, Hey, like let's, let's hop on, discuss this one client. And uh, we'll tell the closer, this is exactly where they're at. This is what happened. This is where their campaign's at. Maybe they're not ready for an upgrade for maybe in a month or so. Maybe now they are ready based on the results we've gotten. They really should be pushed to another package. Yeah. And even if myself or someone else on my team is on the call with the closer, the closer will at least go back in and, and ask, how are you doing? How's everything feel? Like, I just want to get check in with you, make sure that everything's going smooth. Um, I kind of talked to the team. It sounds like you guys could really benefit from this. Like, what are your thoughts? How are your thought processes? And that way sales is, is uh, completely removed from myself. But whenever, whenever uh, we have someone on my team actually discuss something with a client, they ask a specific question that may say, hey, do you guys do this? Or do you guys have this available? We'll say, yeah, we, we can do that. And, uh, but we'll let the closer close them on the package. Well, yeah. so that they, if, if it was a down sell, uh, yeah. if it was a normal sell for a mid-tier package, we, it's pretty standard. You know, we don't, yeah. we, we upgrade them ourselves to anything higher right. after a right. mid-tier, but for the low tier, just so they don't have that fear of selling the low Jay, you're just dropping like so much, so much gold. It's great. I'm loving this episode <laughs> and I knew it was going to run over, but it's all good. Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. let's, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's great. There's so much value in here. Um, what is your single biggest piece of advice for an agency owner that is just starting out? I'd say just, just stop worrying about all the little stuff and get started. Uh, I know it sounds kind of generic, but it, it really is like, just get started, like stop hesitating. So if, if they're gonna say, well, how do I start, um, identifying exactly who you want to work with and not taking the guys that that you don't want to work with. So for me, they need to be doing over X amount of dollars. If they're not doing X amount of dollars a month, I just tell them they're not ready. I'm not going to put you in the package you can't pay for that is going to make you like go broke, you know, if you're just yeah. starting. So it, you know, for us, our packages go pretty low. Like our starters, a thousand bucks a month. But yeah. if they can't afford that and they're really not a good fit, you know, but 
if you have a say it's e-com and you need a, a client that, that sells at least five thousand a month, well, don't take the one that's two thousand a month because it's not who you want to work with. Unless that is your target audience, where you're like, I want to work with startup e-com platforms, and they're only doing like a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks a month in, in sales, and, and or maybe create a starter e-com jumpstart package. Exactly, you exactly. Help them, you help them launch yeah. their store. Base right. your, I would just say, base your programs around your ideal client profile. Create the avatar so that you know exactly who you're marketing to, and then do the market research on the emotional feelings and and all of that for that target audience. So that you know how to sell to them. You're going off of their words, their emotions, their feelings, their wants, their needs, their desires. You're working off of that. And just by the simple practice of identifying exactly who you want as a client, it'll make your campaign so much easier. You know, And um, I turn down work all the time that doesn't fit our model. And a lot of your students that come to us for white label will, will say, do you work with e-com? And I say, I, I, no, I don't. I, and I'm not even going to touch it. It's not my yeah. world. I, I know a lot about it, but I, my team's not set up for that. Like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And even yeah. in the contractor world, like I typically don't take uh, landscaping clients because there's just not enough money in it. They, 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 they really have a weird budget cap where it's like they typically don't make more than 300000 a year. So for me to do work with them, it's like they never, they never really leave the starter programs because they can't afford it unless they're like huge and crushing it. But I tend to avoid that niche because it's just, there's not enough money in it, um, which isn't, it, it's, it's more of a, a, a testament to that industry versus uh, me. Like I would rather work with them. I would love to work with them, but I don't want to put them out either. So yeah. it just depends on where they're at with their revenue. So I, I think there's, there's also a lesson and like a golden nugget in that too. And it, and there is, there is value to staying in your lane, right? Like there is, there's definitely something to be said for knowing what you're good at, sticking to it, uh, and not just chasing down every opportunity. And it's actually really difficult for startup agency owners to stay in your own lane. They want to grab everything. That's right. Fine. You're, yeah. you're so hungry for, yeah. for that first deal, right? Um, but, you know, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking on a few different products that kind of that are different styles to try and figure out what you like if you're still trying to figure out what you like. Yeah, I agree. And I, did that. That. I, definitely, I definitely didn't know, like when I launched my agency, exactly what I wanted to do and, and who I wanted to do it, you know, who I wanted to work with and exactly the services I wanted to offer. Um, and so I got my feet wet with a little, with a few, a few of them uh, to figure out, you know, what industries I liked. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that if that carries on, you know, months, years of just, you know, I have a dentist, I have an e-com store, I have a chiropractor, right? Like a, a master or a, a jack of all trades is a master of none. And so it's just like, you're, you're to get, to level up your ability, to level up your agency, level up your results, your offers, your sales, to just increase all of those things. You have to get, become an expert in your industry. You have to become an expert at who you're working for, the results that you're getting and, and being able to replicate those processes. If you're in all these different niches, you're never going to hit that level of excellence. You're never going to, to get super, super great at anything because your processes are all over the place. I can't uh, agree with that more, man. And like, it's to wrap up that, that statement. Like I spent a lot of time learning about the new products available on the market for our contractors. Like I go to roofing conventions. I go to plumbing conventions. Like I, I just went to one in Miami. I just scheduled my, my ticket yesterday 
to the International Roofing Expo in Vegas. Um, like I go to these conventions and I'm not a roofer, but I go because I have to market their products. And I aligned myself with companies like Contractor Dynamics, who is technically a competitor, but I aligned myself with them because I was like, you know, this just makes too much sense. Like you guys have a proven process for, for their Facebook ads. It's like, let me work with you guys. It'll help your clients. I have business development strategies that could help your clients that are outside of what you guys teach. It, it's a good partnership, right? It's not, it's like friendly competition, but it's a great partnership. Um, but the more that you know, the better. But as I moved into the enterprise level sales and mechanical engineering, the stuff that's industrial level that we started to market, I had to read technical patents and specs to understand how the products work for compressors on top of HVAC units. Like I figured out how those things work. So I went above and beyond to understand the, the actual products. And then I, I was able to have those conversations with the guy on the other end of the line where they're just like, oh, you're gonna market our stuff. It's like, no, I'm gonna market this compressor and our, our message is gonna be how it reduces energy output by 30% by doing voltage matching and doing this and this. And he's like, oh, wow, you really know your stuff. You know, yeah. and that's the difference is really being an expert by, by going above and beyond. So if you're in e-commerce, for example, since I get this a lot, you should know the ins and outs of how dropshipping works from the manufacturer side. You should yes. know how Amazon's SEO works. You should know how the, uh, the difference between doing an Etsy store versus a Shopify and, and your customers may ask you, you got to know these things. You got to know the industry. You got to know when and where to place email automations or SMS notifications so that you don't abuse it and you don't do it incorrectly. You just really have to understand the industry as a whole. And no matter um, what niche you're yeah. in, market research and understanding your niche is so freaking important. Yeah. Like I, I, I stress this constantly on my, on my coaching calls because we deal with a lot of people that are just starting their agencies and we deal with a lot of people that are, are, or possibly going into a new niche, adding another niche, uh, you know, to their agency. And, and, and when you're starting brand new and, and you're starting a new niche, like you cannot skip niche research. It's gonna, it's gonna, you know, mess up your sales calls. It's going to uh, show in your lack of a uh, unique selling proposition. It's going to show across the board. It goes uh, right back to the beginning, you know, the, the, the whole conversation of do the market research. And that's where all the golden copy is, is in the, the, the most boring part of this whole process is the market uh, research. Love it. Jay, this episode has been amazing i i figured it would be uh <laughs> i expected nothing less uh, but this has been a super super valuable i think a ton of people are going to get a lot of value out of this i know that you offer white label services for agencies uh within uh your niche can you expand upon that and let people know how they can contact you if they're interested in white label services yeah um they can look at our pricing and all that on it's hybriddigital.com slash white dash label um, and that, that's where we have all the pricing for what we typically do, which is mostly PPC and SEO driven. Um, but the easiest way to contact me is there's, there's a, a, a contact form on our website, hybriddigital.com. You'll easily find a way to contact us. Um, uh, and then you can book a call right from there. Um, but yeah, to go into it, when we develop a, a, uh, a white label strategy for our partners, as some people can attest to that I'm working with now, we tend to look at it from a business development perspective first. 
So they'll say, hey, I got a roofer that wants Google ads. They have a $1,600 budget. And I'll say to them, that's not going to get them very far, unfortunately. Um, you know, instead, if that's the max they have, maybe we should focus on Google My Business because yeah. there's like a 10 to 20x ROI there. Or maybe we focus on Facebook ads um, and, and, and we have a very unique way of doing those Facebook ads for this industry. So a lot of times we'll just take a really quick look at where the contractor is, what their goals are and what they're actually trying to achieve. And then we try to craft the strategy around that. And we try to educate not only the white label partners, but the contractor on why we're pushing them in that direction, uh, depending on what's happening on the sales calls and, and all of that. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the one thing I'd say that makes us a little different is we're very strategy focused. Uh, but yeah, it, it's easy enough to just go to kyberdigital.com and you'll find all the information there that you need. Perfect. All right, Jay, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this episode. I'll definitely have to have you back again, maybe yeah. in, another, in another season sure, uh, sure. of the podcast, because I feel like there's so many things that, I mean, there's several topics that we didn't get to address that I'm, I'm sure we could probably. I love on. being here, man. This is, this is a lot of fun. And I really like giving back to your community. I, I love your students and uh, everything that you do stand for. I really do. So, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, uh, you, I mean, I, I have no doubt after this uh, incredible conversation, you're going to have some people hitting you up for white label for sure. Uh, sure yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you in the, the program groups. Yep. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me.